Welcome to Essential Ethics and our highlight series from the 2021 12th National Paediatric Bioethics Conference, which was brought to you by the Royal Children's Hospital Children's Bioethics Centre in September 2021. The conference theme was Deciding with Children. I'm your podcast host, Professor John Massey, Clinical Director of the Children's Bioethics Centre. This podcast is from the final session of the conference, the session called Bringing It Together. I am the first speaker and give an overview of the theoretical foundations that underpin deciding with children. I consider the changing nature of decision-making in children's health care, shifting from deciding for others to including the child in the decision-making process. I then consider what with in deciding with children means and move towards how children can be involved in decision-making without necessarily having the final say. Join me as I open the final session of the conference, Deciding with Children, Bringing it Together. This is what the landscape looked like as probably we've grown up and we've conceptualised decision-making in children that there's a physician responsible for final decisions, there's a family responsible for the final decisions, we're sort of shared amongst that, and sometimes it's a bit more physician-led, and we might call that clinical leadership. Um, It might be that there's more of an informed agreement model, there might be something that's right in the middle, which is genuine shared decision-making. There might be physician support, support for the parent's decision, uh, or there might be something which takes into account um, the parents and child's and family's voice. But if you look at that, you know, you can see that really it was physician and family, and this has sort of been our model, and it's been a model that we think about, you know, family-centred care, that's good. But without a clear role for the child, and you can see we've circled that child caregiver, or the child, gets very small Guernsey here, and quite a lot of that has been supported by this concept of deciding for others, and it was popularised and, and pulled together very nicely by Buchanan and Brock, but mostly about young infants, neonates, but really wrapped up children sort of together as having no capacity whatsoever, or, and, and therefore no involvement. And I think we'll show that, you know, maybe this whole thing about capacity has been very important to us uh, in the meeting uh, today. So, decision-making with children is changing. And so these are just some of the ideas that have sort of looped together to think about that. And one is the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, Article 12, which talks about considering the child in things that are important to the child. Now, this is not in a medical sense. This is in a sort of broad child's landscape sense, but it's very applicable to to the healthcare. And I guess what could be more important to a child than their healthcare, certainly when they're sick. And I think that sort of leads into getting to to the voice uh, of the child. And then something that Victoria Miller, Pennsylvania, has been writing about is decision-making involvement. Now I don't think personally that the CRC which articulates the voice of the child goes far enough because it says well you know consider the voice of the child but then actually what do you do with that? Now practically to incorporate that into medical decision making then accounts for the values and preferences of the child and that to me is a serious part of the work of deciding with children. 
and then are reflecting about what Victoria Miller's writing about is decision-making involvement, and are we really saying you know, the same thing? But again, I think that deciding with children centres the child in the decision-making process. And so I think that there is a shift, but I don't think um, that we've necessarily gone far enough. So I think that we talk a big game, and when we... I was really refreshed by when we did the podcast, Lynn, with Daryl Efron, that he recognised that we talk a big game, but we don't always get it right. On a good day we do, but there's lots of other times as well. So I think in some ways, you know, we do pay lip service to involving children, but it's all too easy to slip back and the parents are taking up the decision-making space. And, look, that's not unreasonable. They, um, you know, particularly if it's a long-term illness, they you know, bring the kid... Um, they make all the arrangements, uh, they pull up the Medicare card. If it's private, they're, they're paying the bills. So, you know, they're central to, to what's going on. And so I think, you know, and they can develop a very comfortable relationship. We start by talking with the parents because you've got a, a baby and it's not that we shouldn't be considering a babies. It's exactly what Sarah Jones and Wendy were talking to us yesterday about. Um, and then, um, you know, the, the role of the child is often, um, is often just overlooked. And Ollie, who spoke to us last night, he didn't say this last night, but he said to us in, in, in our warm-up session a couple of days ago, he said, you know, people would see that I'm in a wheelchair and I'm disabled, just look straight past me. It would bundle up disability and just look past him. I think what's been really good is that we've had a few sessions and maybe not enough to try and unpack deciding with children when children have disabilities, but remember they're not all the same. And then as I hinted at before, family-centred care. Great idea, and I think at RCH we're great at family-centred care. What we're trying to do is just re rephrase it, rebrand it, rethink it as child and family-centred care, and of course, you know, a child is not isolated, and as, as Henry Killam so nicely articulates and was in the chat uh, during this morning, you know, the child isn't floating in space untethered to Mother Earth. They're there. But the child's interests and parents' interests are not necessarily exactly the same. So family going well helps the child go well, but they're not necessarily the same. And, of course, in ethics we have consultations where it's, uh, it's quite divergent sometimes, and I think we have seen that too in some of the cases. So you know, deciding with children takes into account developmental stage, and that sort of leads you to be thinking about capacity, but it's not about capacity, it's about age-appropriate stages of discussion and involvement. And, um, you know, Claire, when I was first putting this together, I was thinking, well, that's preferences and values and little kids can show their preferences. And I was, you know, thinking of, you know, three-year-olds who can voice, you know, seriously voice preferences. But I think we've learned it starts much earlier yes. than that. And, again, it may not be decisions, an actual decision, but it's the process of involvement that's building towards a decision maker and I think that's what deciding with children uh, does. Now I'm hoping I'm not encapturing everything in, in what I like as a, as a great riff. I think willingness to participate is really important because a kid doesn't want to be involved in decision making, well do they have to be involved in decision making and I think I think that there are certain times when decision making is burdensome for children. If you're laying it all on, parents are absolving themselves of the responsibility of their support or, or role. And so again, that's not quite what, what we're on about. But I also think, especially in, 
in the chronic disease space. You know, if, if kids are 11 or 12 put their head down, don't want to know too much, but they're half listening, as sort of Ollie was telling us he was doing, you know, that's okay. But at some point, we want to draw them out and involve them in the decision-making process. And if they're getting to transition time, they're going to go to Culmain College with Evelyn in transition clinic. We're going to want to be drawing them out. Now, if they're being, if they're quiet, is that just their shyness? Uh, is that they're being silenced or what else is going on? But I think we do them a disservice if we don't try and bring them into the decision-making space so that when they leave here, they know what healthcare they need, they know how to ask for it, they know how to make, as, as Ollie described last night, that very difficult healthcare space in adult land work for them. So I think that is one of our, one of our roles. Um, I think that the lived experience of the disease starts to add ethical weight. It's, just, it's, it's, it's about maturity, but it's, it's also so much has happened and they know and they can decide or their weighting of their decision-making can be in increased. Um, and then, of course, it takes into account the nature of the decision. And, and some decisions are enormous, some are smaller, some perhaps you mightn't call a decision but a preference. But I think you can frame things like you know, what arm do you want your IV and what sort of gas do you want for induction? All of that builds, is, is respectful, builds a locus of control, builds involvement that works towards decision makers and I think what should be a better outcome. Deciding with children respects the child as a person. And Lynn, I would say that I, up until this week and this conference perhaps, I was often rebranding autonomy as, as respect for persons and there, there clearly is an overlap there but it, it's actually something different and it's fundamental and I think that's why we're paediatricians. Um, we just have this fundamental respect and interest for kids and children as people as well as mucking around with them and having fun too. <laughs> but, but children as people and, and that's you know their being now and it's their becoming, this idea of well, who are we making a decision for, the 25-year-old. But there's actually something, a thing in between too, that growth, and maybe that gets to that uh, existential authenticity that Bry and Ryan Nelson were talking about yesterday. It's one of the models is, is, is developing and leading. And, and, you know, if you've got an illness, um, your healthcare is part of that and part of your authentic person. Um, and I think it acknowledges what happens to the child is important to the child. That's very much embedded in... CRC rights of the rights of the child but deciding with children is not dependent on complete decision-making and I think what we have learned and, and where we've deconstructed Gillick it's sort of been like MasterChef for Gillick in some ways haven't we sort of a, 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 an eaten mess a Gillick mess the pieces of it bits are useful but, you know, deciding children isn't dependent on capacity make because, sure, they don't have full decisional capacity making, but they still deserve respect, they still deserve to be involved, and it's our job to build them towards that. Um, it's, it's not dependent on autonomy, and, of course, autonomy means so many things, um, and, you know, as Kant describes it, it's a very high bar set in terms of thinking about oneself and regard for self and, and decisions uh, and, and many adults don't <laughs> make that sort of level of, of autonomy but we grant it to people who are sort of 18 automatically but I'm not sure we're always immediately happy with their decisions either but <laughs> there's perhaps less we can do once, once they're 18. 
And I think importantly, and I'm surprised it actually hasn't come out quite as much as I thought. It's sort of a very sort of prima facie, if you like, criticism of talking to children is, well, you just want to see decisional authority. And I actually thought that Hugo and Henry, who are sort of lorixes, if you like, <laughs> holders of that practical wisdom, might see that that's, think that's what I was trying to do. And I was nervous, but haven't taken a shellacking from them over this because... <laughs> That's not really what we mean. So I've been trying to think, well, what do we mean? And, you know, the, the decision-making. Now, remember, this is decision-making. Relationship is clinician and parent. Parent has the, the, you know, the final say, unless what they're going to do is really bad, harm principle, uh, or uh, they're incompetent. Um, and I think Laney this morning didn't quite <laughs> give space for incompetent parents in my mind. And then the child said, not unconsidered, but they're not in decision-making equation. And then as those preferences and values are, are, are better understood and articulated, they start to become involved and part of the decision-making and building that trust that was so important that Rachel talked about yes, last night towards effective decision-making. And then at some stage, and you can see you haven't sort of put an age to this, but you can see where we're getting to the teenage years, where we've got all three involved. Everyone's got a stake uh, in this. And, and what we'd like, and I think is what happens most of the time, is some sort of agreement model uh, shared between the child, the clinician and the parents in, in, in various weightings depending on the nature of, of the decision. But then as we head towards the later teenage years, um, we start to see a little decoupling of, of the three-way uh, entente um, and the parents having less weight and that's because the decisional authority of parents and authority being an important word that's come up is starting to, to, to diminish in the presence of greater capacity of the child. So the parental authority is limited, not just by harm, not just by incompetence of the parents, but by the growing autonomy capacity um, of, of the child. And, and so what we've seen through this progression is really a shift from a, a pas de deux two people dancing, early model, to a pas de toi. And I, I like this, Claire, because for me it, it's got the, the, the beautiful, careful dance of ballet and decision-making. Now, Lynn, you'll criticise the metaphor because there's no talking. That would make mm. it a musical. And apart from the sound of music, there are... <laughs> don't like them, so I'm sticking with, with ballet. But, you know, Doug highlighted, you know, a careful discussion and careful wording, and I think that's come through. And I think, in fact, that's what, you know, Laney was wanting in terms of preserving the importance of preserving the relationship and actually helping the relationship with the child go better if they're involved in the decision and, and we're all supporting each other. If we actually look at some empirical evidence, and there isn't a great deal in the field. Victoria Miller... Melda coin, limited number of papers. But in the little data that's out there, what children want is direct communication and shared or active participating in decision making. So um, I don't think that's a great surprise uh, to paediatricians. So how can we involve them without necessarily giving the final say? So we're thinking about asking their opinions and preferences and what matters to them, getting to know them beyond just the medical telling them they have an important role to be specific about this. It's their body, it's their life, it's what matters to them. 
it highlights that adults care for what they think and we should tell them that. What you say is important. And it might be that we have to, circumstances, override their preferences and values or the decisions they might want to make. Now we've been careful not to see decisional authority. We want to in involve them and promote their views where we can. But if we don't ask, we don't know. We don't ask them what their preferences and values, what they'd like to be doing and what's important to them. And then we just do what we're going to do and we just trash them. That is worse than, than not having them involved. We want to know. And then asking about what they understand about the decision. Because it might be a decision they don't necessarily agree with or it's hard for them to get their head around. And I think checking in to see what they understand and the rationale behind it is important. There are intrinsic benefits, and that is that the child is central to the decision. So this just means that it's, but by doing it, it's good, for no other reason, and that's good enough. We've seen that it gives a locus of control and the child feels valued. But there are instrumental benefits. So this is things that might follow. It can help the child speak up in the future can guide the child to become an independent decision maker and some literature we need to gather more so please if you're interested join us let's get some more data but it can improve outcomes things like adherence which is really really important so I think that deciding with children creates obligations and perhaps the extent to which you accept this obligations. Lynn, I don't know if there's a difference between a duty and, and obligations. Is it just a heavier duty, heavier... Uh... Let's not hang our hat on that one here. All right. But I think it creates, it creates obligations. Uh, and it's for the child to be in, involved. It's for parents to create the space that's needed. So remember at the beginning I said that sort of the decisional space is sort of taken up by the parents. And I think when it's not happening naturally, and I think we saw last night for Rachel and Ollie, it did happen naturally, it didn't happen for Morgan. I think that is in our scope of practice. It is in the interests of the child and therefore I think it's an obligation for us to create that space. Now we sort of do it by getting the kid out of the room and then trying to build that. Um, but when the kid's in the room, then we're also wanting to coach the kid to be a decision maker. That's not to coach them to be anti their parents, as Lainey would, might, might be thinking that I'm thinking, and, <laughs> and it's not. It's really to coach them in medical decision making, and maybe, you know, that's something that's good in, in other things that they have to make decisions for. So I th I'm going to say that if we call it an obligation, I'm calling that a moral duty, and I'll be very, very interested to see my colleagues think about that and what the audience thinks about that. So that's a lot from me. So I think, Lynn, it's your turn to speak, but there may be some questions in chat. Georgina, I haven't sort of been following the chat, I've just been following me. Oh, well, um, I think a lot of what you're saying is resonating with people out there, John. I think Kate, I was going to say Kate TB, I feel like we've all got to know each other so well, but I should say Dr. Kate thompson um referenced... Um, Doug, when he was saying about um, that, let me get this right, autonomy isn't sort of, you don't have to be autonomous to get respect. Uh, we should respect 
um, all beings, and that's respecting personhood, that um, just because a child isn't autonomous doesn't mean we shouldn't ask them or explain why we're going to touch them, when we're going to touch them, what's going to be happening. Um, and that really does seem to be um, a key concept that people um, are sort of are happy with, um, that children of all ages deserve um, to be included in some way mm. um, and, and that those the duty to, to draw that out. It shouldn't just be the clinician and it shouldn't just be the parents. It should encompass health, education, um, all, all spheres and all touch points for the child in their life. Yeah. I think... Um John, I think it was, uh, it's a really interesting dilemma. And I think, uh, you know, for those nurses that are novice to this, what, um, what is paying lip service to a decision in as much as you ask a child, and, but you know the answer to that question? Does that not um, underpin their trust in us? You know, how, how do you, when you know the decision has to be that they have to have X procedure, what what is the way to approach those sort of conversations but still give them ownership and decision-making, if you like? Yeah, that is such a good question, and I think that is, you know, one of the, if you like, the, the things that we have to overcome as we, mm. as we try and take up this model of, of deciding with children. So I think, you know, there are decisions and decisions, and the things, decisions that are binary, they're hardly a decision at all, and you know that, that things are going to happen and you're going to have to have a nasogastric tube yeah or you're going to have to have a plaster you know as in a cast or something so i think there are ways of you know engaging the children in the process so you know we do the basics of of kindness and and thoughtfulness mm -hmm. but i think there may be options so if it's a cast um you know what what color do you want it to be is it going to be plaster is it going to be fiberglass what do you do yeah that that might determine that you need the sort of lightweight job or the more solid you know traditional job but perhaps don't use those it's quite as much these days which hand do you want the iv and what sort of flavor do you want when you with, with your gas so i think within the bigger decisions can be some smaller decisions yeah. and, and smaller uh, preferences that can be accommodated yeah. um but i think you're right in that they were not we want to be careful if we're giving them a choice that isn't there, and that's wrong. Yeah. To Lynn? Yes, I, your question, uh, Maria, I think is a great one, and it reminded me of the, um, the quite vigorous uh, exchange we had. Was it on Wednesday? I've lost track of the days. With Doug about the idea of, of saying sorry to children. I'm mm. sorry that we have to do this to you. There was a bit of concern that um, that conveyed the message that we were doing something bad to the child, and we had a lot of discussion about how you could regret that there isn't a choice for the child about whether they have the procedure or not. Um, and that's something that you can convey to children. It, yes, it is upsetting. We do have to do this, but we regret that it's upsetting to you. We're doing everything we can to make it as uh, least distressing mm -hmm. as possible. So it's another way to think about yeah, it, that you actually can't take all the badness away, um, but you can empathise with the child. That's great. Georgina. Um, just, I, I wonder if, if we'd like to ask Roz to um, take the talking stick. She's got a, um, a really thoughtful question. Roz made a point, I think, in the, in, the, uh, in the chat about how do we know we've got it right. Is that right? And what's the sort of yeah, long term? The criterion for success. The criterion it's, for it's success. It's an interesting yeah. question. Of deciding with. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, Roz, um, I know what it might look like, and I think it's exactly why we need to keep get some data it's exactly why we had at least you know three people <laughs> this is a collection of anecdotes um l last night i think that 
when kids look back at what happened and think, yes, I was part of it, I was involved, I was supported to make a decision. And so, you know, you might think deciding with children is, a just, is another version of supported decision making, but I still think we're trying to elevate the child and feel that the choices that were made involved them. So it's, it's, it's not just looking back and going, well, I didn't want that, and, and, but I'm happy now that it was done. I mean, that's, that's okay too. But it's the way it was done, it's the process, and the way I was involved. And as I think we saw with Ollie last night, I can now navigate the adult system with much more confidence. Mm -hmm. Then I think we've done our job. The 12th National Paediatric Bioethics Conference was made possible by the generous support of the Friends of the Children's Bioethics Centre Auxiliary and the Humanity Foundation. This podcast was prepared by the Royal Children's Hospital Creative Services with help from Dr Georgina Hall. If you enjoyed the podcast, give us a rating and share it with your colleagues and friends. If you would like to find out more about the activities of the Royal Children's Hospital Children's Bioethics Centre, including our annual conference held each September, look us up on www.rch.org.au forward slash bioethics. Essential ethics, be inspired. Thank you.